I think if that was his intention, then he did it successfully, I guess. But it, it was a failure in my book. I don't. I, it's a very gutsy thing to do yeah. to say, you know, I'm going to take this film, which was 50% fan service, and we're going to throw it into an area where fans aren't going to be familiar. It, yeah. it's, it seems like a bad mixture. Hello, and welcome back again to Geek Sweat, where we bring you another episode of Stream Team where we're looking at feature films that have been at the cinema and are now available for you to watch on your favourite streaming platform. Welcome to the show. Today we are going to be joined by King Dom. Hey TJ, always good to be here. Now, have you managed to bring your proton pack because we are going deep and dark into the world of horror, comedy and action? I'm so prepared for this one. Today we are going to be looking at an old feature film which has come back to life, which is Ghostbusters Afterlife, a 2021 feature film by the son of Ivan Reitman, Jason Reitman. And we are seeing the handing over of the baton for Ghostbusters from the 80s for Ghostbusters for the 2020s. Now joining us to be on the Ghostbusters series or the Ghostbuster canon we need to have an american and this american that we're picking today is wayne g from the recasted 2.0 podcast welcome to the show wayne thanks for having me i'm actually really excited to be on here and to be discussing ghostbusters which is something i grew up with and then the opportunity to check out the reboot uh, i definitely have some thoughts about it amazing now before we jump in and uh, zap some uh, ghouls from the past could you tell us a bit more about how Recasted 2.0 works as a podcast? What does it do for its listeners? Yeah, for sure. So Recasted 2.0, what we do is me and my co-host, Jesse, we take movies that are at least 20 years old and we recast modern actors and actresses. And then we put it out to a fan vote, which people seem to have a lot of fun with. But occasionally I'll get an angry person saying you shouldn't recast this film yeah. and I let them know I'm not actually doing it for real I don't have a hundred million dollar budget yeah yeah so an example of this might be we know that Sir Patrick Stewart is Professor Xavier in the X-Men but we might look at let's say another bald guy like Mark Strong or maybe Bruce Willis and say this guy could be the new Professor X going forward is that the sort of thing you do well, Jesse might do it that way. I don't put a whole lot into looks because any actor can shave their head. Sure. So it really it comes down to what actor encapsulates the spirit of the character. Sure. And then that's who I try to use. Okay, great stuff. Well, we'll find out more about your podcast later on in today's episode. But for now, we are going to swoon and slide away across the Atlantic and try to pass through some walls to find out more about this new project called Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, as a fan of 80s comedy and a fan of Saturday Night Live, this is probably one of the kind of alumni feature films where you get to see the graduates of that particular show. So the traditional Ghostbusters that we all know and love includes Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, and Dan Aykroyd. And the lesser name that always gets forgotten is Ernie Hudson, probably because he wasn't in that comedy troupe at the time, but he's kind of become more established. And they've managed to make Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2. Uh, we've also seen the real Ghostbusters, which is the cartoon anime, and a slightly controversial 2016 Paul Feig release, which may have to be discussed, called Ghostbusters. 
But now we're coming back to Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is, for me, it's an exceptionally long-awaited sequel because I remember seeing Ghostbusters at the cinema and I remember being scared to watch it. Not necessarily because of the the horror potential, but I think my mum built it up so much that I shouldn't watch it as like an eight-year-old, that my brother kind of dared himself to kind of sneak me into the cinema to watch it. So... I've got those kind of special memories of like having to see a film that was older or um, it was kind of a freaky film for me to watch. But how about yourself, Dom? What are your memories of Ghostbusters? For me, it's one of the films that I absolutely loved when I was about eight years old and I really first got into films as a fan. It just excited me on so many levels, the special effects, the comedy, the action. And also, this is something that we're going to come back to, I guess, Um I love the fact it was set in New York, which the remake, the sequel, isn't. So we'll come back to that. But it was just a kind of visually overwhelming package for an eight-year-old. And Wayne, as the resident American from our group, what's the history of Ghostbusters in the United States? Like, how much is it ingrained in the culture? I think it's definitely a classic film, how we look at it. It's basically a movie, like you said, with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. And you look at, like, just the history of those guys... Harold Ramis with Caddyshack and Stripes and so many just classic comedies. And it really, it's the epitome of an 80s comedy. It's exactly, it's got some sexual situations in it, which might be a little too advanced for like the youth nowadays. But when I was younger, we didn't even think about it. And also kind of the slapstick humor, but there's also sophisticated humor about it, which we'll get into when we get kind of the recap, what this movie tried to do, which I didn't like. But the move, the original, and I actually have a controversial take, which is I think Ghostbusters 2 is actually better than Ghostbusters. Damn, this guy's trying to get us cancelled right now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely need you to hear, hear you expand on that theory in just a moment. What I want to say about Ghostbusters is I want to try and uh, just say a little bit about what the premise is. So uh, for anyone listening at home who's probably confused or having difficulty separating the ectoplasm of one of the franchise films from another, I'll try to just give you a quick summary about what the 2021 edition is about. When a single mum and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Now, this is 7.2 stars out of 10 on IMDb. Dom, what were the impressions that the film left you with when you first like stepped out of your stream to watch it? Kind of got mixed feelings because there was a lot of what you would call fan service. And, you know, I'm a sucker for all that. I'm a sucker for the cameos. Can we say what the cameos are? Go for it. So you get to see Dan Aykroyd, you get to see Bill Murray. That's fantastic. That's all you want as a fan. And there's a great... I, I think it's great. It's not the most sophisticated scene, but there's like a little sketch with Bill Murray and Sigourney Reaver yeah. after the credits. It's like a post-credit sting, sure. which for fans is fantastic. Mm. I would say one thing I missed, yeah, considering there's so much fan service, I actually missed the location of New York. Yeah, I found the new location less interesting, and I don't know. That might be because I'm English, so New York is a kind of in some ways, well, I'm very familiar with it now, but it's in some ways it's an exotic location, especially 
the 80s iteration from the original. And there's kind of a map to it. Like when you go to New York, you've got Empire State Building, you've got uh, Central Park, you've got Chrysler Building, you've got some like big set piece places yeah, where you expect right. things to happen. And then it all culminates in that massive Art Deco skyscraper, which is huge and sinister. Yeah. And there's nothing kind of as visually spectacular as that yeah. in the new film, I think. I don't know, let's throw that one out to Wayne. Wayne, what did you think of that? It was interesting. I thought, you know, having it take place in Smallville or wherever they had it, it <laughs> was definitely kind of weird because you didn't have that city aspect. Like the Ghostbusters were always trying to save these large groups of people yeah. from whatever was going on. And this was just kind of like, mm. we're out in the middle of nowhere. We're going to try to save the world and nobody's going to know about it. Yeah. Do you feel that there may have been an influence of the pandemic on the production of this film? Because we've we've seen a couple of things before of like films like we've even interviewed a director who made a film during the pandemic. Do you feel there might have been this kind of decision of we're not going to be able to do what we used to do in the city, so we might have to take it and go rural, so we've got a bit more freedom to let the special effects and the set pieces kind of just breathe, as it were? I don't know because I think that that's a huge overhaul of a script and a huge overhaul of just planning and I, I think that I can understand why some directors might do that in yeah. certain movies but this film in particular I think that you would have to overhaul it completely and you'd mm. be probably looking at a year sure. of development or redevelopment to get mm. to that point. Okay so let me look at it another way perhaps because it's Jason Reitman taking over his father's mantle as it were and there was also the story of kids which is quite interesting because I actually look back at Ghostbusters 1 and I, 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 it suddenly struck me there's no children in Ghostbusters. Like Ghostbusters 2, yeah, you've got a baby, but Ghostbusters 1, there's no children and there's adult themes. And we've got the different types of scientists who kind of come across as frat boys, but they're like nerds who are just kind of at the extreme ends of just like social ineptness, as it were. Do you feel that Jason Reitman maybe took it to, out of New York to kind of earn the spurs, as it were? So it wasn't just like, we're just going to throw this down on the table and see if people like it. It's like every character, every moment was kind of earned a bit more. I think if that was his intention, then he did it successfully, I guess. But it, it was a failure in my book. I don't. It's a very gutsy thing to do yeah. to say, you know, I'm going to take this film, which was like Don was saying, it's, you know, 50% fan service and we're going to throw it into an area where fans aren't going to be familiar. It, yeah. it's, it seems like a bad mixture. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, the one thing I want to say about Ghostbusters 1, uh, before I just let it back out again, is the original Ghostbusters has some very interesting things going on about it. There's airy music. It starts off like a genuine horror because it's actually an old woman in a vulnerable situation, literally going into the basement of a library to meet a ghost. And you don't actually see the ghost. So that kind of adds to the horror of your what's in your imagination. Now, we've got the Who You Gonna Call uh, theme tune that kind of kicks in very early. But... The real start of it is they are actually playing up the, the, the tropes of a horror movie. It's like if you take Bill Murray's Venkman out of the film, like you've basically got a John Carpenter horror movie about like just three or four low-rent um, unemployed scientists who are trying to convince the city that these spectral forms are real and they're taking over the city. When I first watched it, I always saw it as a comedy. I didn't really catch the... Uh, exterminator vibe about it it's more obvious now that these are kind of like exterminators who are going around like cleaning house in different places particularly the hotel but like Dom did you feel that Ghostbusters Afterlife carried on the same traditions of being a horror more than a comedy 
Okay, well, so first of all, the exterminator vibe doesn't work if you take it to a rural area. Yeah, yeah. So the high concept of the original movie is like uh, they're exterminators in the city. You're never more than six feet away from a rat. But what about if the whole city's overrun with ghosts? And it's just a great high concept. And that doesn't really translate if you change the location. So that's kind of missing. And overall, there are some scary-ish bits, especially at the beginning in the kind of pre-credit bit, but yeah. it's not really scary in the way that the first one was. Yeah, It has the comedy, but it doesn't have the range of comedy. It's not... Um, mm. There's not the variety of the original, let's say. It's more of a family film, so it doesn't have the variety or the edges of the original. Yeah, because the original's got more of a sense of death and danger to it as well, hasn't it? Yeah, which is kind of necessary if you're trying to set up a kind of spectacular finale. Mm. There has to be some sense that these guys could actually die. Do you feel there were some bits that were missing? Because you said it, some of it didn't work for you. So what do you feel was missing, Wayne? There was a lot missing. And I think really what it was is the inexperience of the director and the writing staff here. Because I think okay. they desperately missed Harold Ramis as a writer and Ivan Reitman as the director. Yeah. The, the pacing was incredibly slow, which falls yeah. on the director. Sure. Uh, you know, the original Ghostbusters movies were fast. Right off the bat, like you said, there's a ghost. They, it jumps right into it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing's missing is Bill Murray really is what made that a comedy. Bill Murray yeah. being the central character sure. is what made that film funny. And now we take... I think they tried to replace him with Paul Rudd, but you're basically taking a guy who's a secondary character now and expecting him to carry the film, which is never going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, they tried to really build this up with not just fan service, but as many tropes as they could. Yeah. You know, like the mom who doesn't know anything about science, the kid who has no friends, the, the sidekick. It was just, there's so many tropes and, and fan service. There really was no story. The, the characters didn't have any arcs. They, there, yeah. there, was, there was nothing there. Because I always thought that they tried to recreate the original Ghostbuster team with the children. So I got the impression that, um, and I think we're going to have to look at some character names here. That there was a character called Podcast. You can't forget that. Yeah, Podcast um, was obviously Dr. Stan. So that's Dan Aykroyd coming back to life. And I think um, they did it not just with the technical talk, but they kind of gave it away with the, the kind of bouffant hair as well. I felt that uh, Paul Rudd, his character was more like the Rick Moranis character because obviously he ends up becoming one of the Gozer Ghouls, as it were. And I felt what they were trying to do was make the brother Venkman because he was the one that had the chemistry or the, the, the tense love story, as it were, with another female character, even though it was just another school kid. So I, I felt that Venkman and young Spengler were in the same family. What do you think? Maybe a little bit, but even then, I didn't really make those parallels. I, I felt like it was a completely different story, and they were just trying to tie it in. I understand what you're saying. Mm. Uh, the character of podcast, by the way, my least favorite character, maybe in because you're really a podcast scene. <laughs> he, he was atrocious. Yeah. Do you think it, he was kind of like a shoehorned character, kind to kind of grab onto what was happening currently in the market? Well, I think he was supposed to be your comic relief because what happens is the Phoebe was supposed to be a very straight character. Yeah. And then you have her brother was kind of doing his teenage angst trope. So that was yeah. a whole serious side of it. The mom's trying to deal with it. So the, the, the comedy was supposed to come from podcasts, but it yeah. was just so horrendously bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, the interesting thing is I wanted to say one thing about you saying about the pacing, because I do feel that it was quick in a way because the film actually starts off with an eviction. So it's an immediate start to the story where the, the mum has to leave the city, as it were. So it kind of, I felt that they did the, 
a good thing of cutting the exposition of getting her out of the city into the reason why she needs to go to the haunted house. I did get a feeling that Ghostbusters Afterlife is the same ingredients with a new chef. And I think maybe it's we've got to get accustomed to the, how the new chef makes the recipe if we want to kind of relive the fr I don't think we can relive the franchise, but I think we can rebuild the franchise because I think a lot of damage may have been done with, um, let's say, this is the 2016 edition and the disconnect between, I think it was Ghostbusters 2 and the rest of the franchise because, um, I just want to say this briefly, but there was a thing called The Real Ghostbusters, which is like a cartoon animated series. And I think in the canon, what confuses the fan base is from Ghostbusters 1 to Ghostbusters 2, there's a big chunk of nothing happening except for the real Ghostbusters. So it was always assumed the Ghostbusters were still in business. Whereas when you come into Ghostbusters 2, they try to explain it as, oh, we've been out of business and now we need to be brought back. So it's kind of a disconnect. And also Slime is kind of an ally now in the real Ghostbusters and he goes back to being the enemy again. So I think there's been that kind of, the thread has been there, but they haven't really kind of gone on a straight line, as it were. I mean, do you see that, Dom? Yeah, I, I sort of see that. I sort of see the point you're making there. Mm. What do you think, Wayne? Do you think they've kind of changed the lines of the direction of where Ghostbusters have tried to go? Too many times? I don't think so. I, I think that, because here's the thing, is that from a fan standpoint, like mm. we don't even look at the real Ghostbusters as canon or being anything with it. We don't look sure. at the 2016 Ghostbusters as if it ever existed. Yeah. It's kind of like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What What is that? You Robocop know? 3. So it's, right. We just forgot about it. So yeah, yeah. I think that, that, that Ghostbusters, then Ghostbusters 2, and then Ghostbusters Afterlife, to me, is a, a 1, 2 and 3. That's obviously, with the gap steps. between 2 and 3. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's like the first, that's the hop, skip, and a jump, as it were, is going Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Could you tell me a little bit more about why you loved Ghostbusters 2, the sequel, more than the original? I just really enjoyed the storyline. The main characters were already established at this point, so we're introducing a new villain and his henchman, who I thought was really funny. And I just like the direction the story went, where the slime kind of ripped them apart and, and they would argue with each other. Mm. And we're starting to see them kind of drift apart a little bit as friends to kind of come back together. Sure. There was just a lot more going in. It wasn't a straight-up comedy. It felt, felt like there was a lot more story to do. Okay. And you're getting to see more of the Ghostbusters lore because I think you get introduced to characters like Evo, Shandor, and some of the, the longer-term history of the ghosts. It's not just like, oh, it's just that building, and we zap the building and everything's going to be okay. It's like, no, there's this long cult that's kind of amassing these kind of uh, ghosts over time, isn't it? Yeah, so I really enjoyed the bad guy. I thought he was great. I thought his henchman, played by Peter McNichol, he was fantastic. It was just really good, and I thought it was just a much better story altogether. Um, do you feel it's more like Ghostbusters Rebirth, though, in terms of... Do you did you see like some of the new things that they were trying out in terms of like what type of characters get to play um, the Ghostbusters who gets to who gets to be in the hot seat as it were? I don't look at it as a, a rebirth or a reboot because I, this to me this is wrapping up the story. I really sure. hope they don't go anywhere with it from here. Yeah. But this is kind of again you get the kids. I don't think they're trying to create new Ghostbusters. I think it was just like hey. Mm. These kids weren't even Ghostbusters. So they aren't going around busting ghosts. They just happen to kind of discover the equipment and start playing with it. Sure, sure. So that's fine. I like that aspect of it. 
if they really are trying to reboot this thing, then mm. this was not the vehicle to do it. Yeah, okay. One thing I, I, I did want to suggest, I mean, I think it's probably the elephant in the room now, if anyone knows the history of this film and who's been involved in it. But unfortunately, um, at the time we're, right, we're doing this podcast, Ivan Reitman had passed away, and he's the director of the first two Ghostbusters. And as I understood it, Ivan Reitman had seen this last version, Ghostbusters Afterlife, before it hit cinema screens. But Death has kind of followed this film around because apparently Dan Aykroyd had written Ghostbusters as a philosophical idea and it was supposed to originally star James Belushi, who's a massive comedy legend. And I feel it may have changed the way people would perceive Bill Murray's character because I think Dan Aykroyd may have seen James Belushi's Animal House character as being the type of scientist, the kind of a slob scientist who's kind of a bit of a letter or a perp towards women or he's trying to use science to kind of get into women's pants. And I think that that character that Bill Murray plays kind of earns his way into or tries to earn his way into the love interest heart by saving the world rather than just trying to hoodwink her with some dodgy science. But do you feel that Ghostbusters was trying very well to kind of make the Harold Ramis character come back because he died in 2014 and they had to do some amazing work by I think hiring an actor called Chris Cooper I'll try and get the name right um, who was in Mindhunter to kind of be the body and use a lot of CGI and screen grabs from the original Ghostbusters Ghostbusters 2 to kind of reignite that character how did you feel that was used like bringing back the third Ghostbuster Wayne? I think that it was again it's just fan service I think that the fans really wanted to see him. I think right from the very get-go when we see out in the field when he's trying to lure the thing into the field, yeah, we were like, oh my God, that's Egon. And we all kind of get that warm feeling of like, we want to see him yeah, and yeah. then to finally see him. It, they did a great job with that. Mm. I just think, again, it was, you're just doing this to appease the fans. It really didn't yeah. do anything for the story for me. Mm. So Dom, what do you think they could have done better to make Ghostbusters afterlife less fan service and more standalone film i think it really needed more comedy as um wayne has touched on there's um the character played by finn wolfhard and he's like an angsty teen so he has a kind of dramatic story it's mm. not a comedic story yeah his mother has been evicted that's not a funny story that's a dramatic story single mother no single less. mother yeah. yeah the sister is a very serious character she doesn't really have any funny lines mm. well there's like meant to be a running gag that she tells terrible jokes but they are actually terrible, terrible jokes. jokes yeah yeah and so it doesn't transcend that it's not like so bad it's funny it's yeah. just bad yeah 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 so there's kind of a vacuum where there should be more comedic characters mm -mm -mm. i think that would have really helped okay i mean what do you think Wayne? i mean i alluded it to at the beginning there is a kind of saturday night live stand-up alumni who come through this. And I think Ghostbusters 2016 tried to bring a Saturday Night Live alumni without the horror element. So do you feel that this could have improved with more comedy moments? It could have been more comedy and a little bit more strength of the story. I mean, if it's me and I'm writing the script, I think what I probably do is the kids discover the equipment. Paul Rudd seems to be a big fan of the original Ghostbusters from the 80s. Mm -hmm. Maybe have him kind of like have a Ghostbusters Academy and he's trying to train them to catch ghosts and they're trying to catch ghosts around the, the little town. 
that would have been kind of funny. And I, I think that could have been successful rather than trying to make almost like a serious story of them reconnecting with their grandfather who they didn't know. And, and then Paul Rudd's kind of on the outside. He's just a couple of quick jokes and then he's out of it. And I, I don't know. I think they could have done a little bit more with that story. Were there any scenes in this film that you were fascinated in? So I'll just go first. I actually enjoyed seeing the return of Slimer, even though um, I think he had a slightly different nickname in this film. I think it was clever the way they made him a bit of an ally who kind of ended up freeing the proton pack that he needed to get back access to as part of the film. So I thought that was a very clever way around of getting that character back for fan service and as a plot point. But was there anything that fascinated you, Wayne? I did like, again, Muncher, I guess they call him, uh, yeah, kind of getting right. the proton pack out. I, I did like that that use. I did like Paul Rudd's character. I thought it was great. I thought he very underutilized, but he was really good and charming because it's just Paul Rudd. He could yeah. charm him anybody. Yeah. And then... Uh, I think Olivia Wilde played Gozer. I thought she yeah. looked great. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it wasn't It was just reminiscent of the original, but it just felt like you now they, this is what it should have looked like of a bigger budget. And no disrespect to Ghostbusters 1, they did some amazing work considering how predated special effects were or prehistoric special effects were at that time. But um, Dom, was there any special moments for you that you're fascinated by? I guess the, the one that... Um... I'll remember, or my takeaway, is when Egon comes back at the end. Mm. You know, that is a really emotional moment. Yeah. Even if the film has got some shortcomings for me, it's impossible not to be moved by that if you love the original. Yeah, yeah. And they did do it really, really well. The CGI, um, the combination of CGI and prosthetics, I guess, on the actor is really well done, very sensitively done. Let's get back into podcast because it seems like we, we've got a bit of a gripe to bear with him and he needs to be hauled over the coals. Did you like podcast's moment where he gets to challenge the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man and then gets splattered with the marshmallows? Because that's a kind of a callback moment to the victory point of um, Ghostbusters, isn't it? Yeah, with them all getting covered with the marshmallows, but yeah. that scene didn't do anything for me. Nothing with him was really entertaining to me. And mm. and what is the deal with, like, every time he was around some sort of equipment, he had to use it? Like, yeah. he had those binoculars that he kept putting on every time yeah. he did something. <laughs> and then when he goes into the house to get the to get the costumes, right? Yeah. He puts on, like, this helmet that has, it's like the Doc Brown helmet from Back to the Future. Oh, like, but that was it? the telepathy experiment in Ghostbusters 1. But Speng Egon uses that on Rick Moranis' character when he's possessed to kind of find out about his brainwave. So that is an actual prop from Ghostbusters 1. Yeah, it was like more fan service. It didn't yeah. really serve a point, but why does he put it on? And yeah. then two seconds later, he's got his outfit on, but he doesn't have that on anymore. Did yeah, he just yeah, say, hey, yeah. I don't really, I don't know. There's just like, mm. again, they were trying to be like, hey, look at all these things from the first film. Do you know another thing we probably missed was um, Sigourney Weaver's chair arms, the possessed chair, because when she gets grabbed and taken away in Ghostbusters 1, I should say, into the uh, chamber of Zool's possession, as it were. That chair moment happens to Egon at the beginning of Ghostbusters Afterlife. So I think there is some callbacks to how they did the special effects and stuff like that. So it did feel they were trying to say these are the ingredients of the original mm -hmm. and we haven't let go of the lot. Maybe we haven't let go of, we, we never got to finish the story the way that we wanted to tell it. That's my forgiving way of trying to bail out Jason Reitman anyway. I just realised for me the the whole bit with the podcast and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men yeah. kind of sums up what 
I didn't like about this film because sure. they're not really interesting when they're the size of actual marshmallows. Yeah. The whole point of the spectacular finale is there's a marshmallow man that's 100 feet high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to destroy everything in a comical way. Yeah. And now you've got like little nuisance uh, characters. Or yeah, they're a little irritant. Like, you yeah, can like yeah. flick them away and they splatter. It felt like if you were more of a fan of Toy Story, maybe that type of a scene would appeal to you or franchise moment you make this film everyone wants to buy a stay puff marshmallow mer- key ring it felt like this is the merchandise okay. moment but that scene yeah. it kind of summed up like the film was just i know it's about saving the world but it felt lower stakes yeah 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 it felt more like money grab to me to be honest but um i don't know i i wanted this film to work i'm i'm, I'm trying to see all of the positives it, it did try to repeat the ghostbusters running with the law as well because I think the Ghostbuster trope in one and two and probably all of the franchises is at some point when the gang gets together, the law tries to get in the way or some kind of authoritative figure tries to kind of trip them up. And um, I kind of thought it was pretty cool that they only brought Bakeem Woodbine into the show so he could say, Who's you, who are you going to call? That was uh, so telegraphed. Yeah, like, yeah. He takes a pause before the line. But the thing is, I just felt like, you know what, if, you, if you're going to shoehorn all of these references and callbacks in you may as well just like slap it on the table and say look we, we've got this actor in to do that particular line and we know it's intentional you know I mean did you feel did you feel that there was a confidence maybe instead of just lackadaisical way of going about it was there any was there any confident moments that you kind of think we can go forward with this or it's got to end here Wayne um, no, there was nothing I really enjoyed about it at all wow. in, in terms of confidence and things. I mean, I, I thought you summed it up great in the very beginning when you said, you know, they tried to use a lot of the same ingredients from the other Ghostbusters movies. Mm. And if you say, hey, Gordon Ramsay's cooked a uh, chicken parmesan with these ingredients, Wayne, now you can make it. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter what ingredients I have. I'm not Gordon Ramsay, you know, yeah. and neither is Jason. Jason Reitman is not Ivan Reitman. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, well, one thing I, I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying this kind of comparison from the first one to Afterlife. I appreciate a lot of stuff's gone on in the Ghostbusters canon, but there's one other thing I wanted to mention was this kind of uh, one of my friends. I actually saw it with a female friend, believe it or not. I actually speak to other women uh, than Jay on the podcast, uh, really? or, I have, or I have permission to. There was an issue about consent and the way um, the sexual activity was uh, managed, which was in the first film. Sigourney Weaver's character is inside a horror film story. Like she has not got any comical moments that are taking place until she interacts with Bill Murray. However, at some point, um, she's uh, grabbed, as it were, by a possessed chair and chamber, as it were. And in a weird way, I didn't realize there's actually a hidden boob shot inside the Ghostbusters film number one when these arms coming out of the chair, pulling her apart. Like I think one of the guys accidentally pulled her shirt and ripped it open, whether it's intentional, I don't know. But there's an element that the possession is not consensual. And this is what my friend was trying to tell me, like Bill Murray's a bit more of a pervert and he's the guy who gets the girl. Whereas in Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's the good guy who gets the girl in the end. So it's kind of like um, Paul Rudd's character, for example, when when they're too possessed by the gozers, as it were, or gozers' dogs, um, there's a kind of moment where he gives a flower to the other possessed character before they consummate, 
Whereas in the Ghostbusters one, it's kind of inevitable that Rick Moranis has to kind of sublimate himself to the other character. So do you think, I don't want to say like woke culture, but do you think they were trying to be a bit more tender or sensitive with the kind of the sexual elements of the story? And, and like, did you see any of that, Wayne? I think it was less sexual, again, to make it more family friendly. I think the original one, just because of the 80s, when we think of the 80s, PG-13 movies had a lot of sexual stuff in them. You always had sure. boobs in them, right? Mm. It just, that's changed a lot now. Mm. So I think, but I don't think in terms of the whole woke thing, I don't believe in all that. I think that, you know, it's just the way that the movie played out. They tried to make it a little bit more PG than PG-13, which I think it might actually have a PG rating. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and so to get more kids in front of it. And so I understand that. But even, I don't want to paint Bill Murray because you have to remember when, uh, Sigourney Weaver is possessed yeah. and she's coming after him like I want to have sex with you Bill Murray right mm. he doesn't and he, yeah. it's almost like treating it like she's had too much to drink like listen it's yeah. not right for me to do this yeah. so he's still a good guy he's just kind of smarmy and sarcastic yeah. and yes I understand Paul Rudd plays more of the wholesome type good guy but at the same time it's it's to me it's mm. You know, six of one, half dozen of the other. It's the same thing. But the thing, and the other thing is, I want to just the reason why I wanted to tie into that because in the, I'm not sure if you saw the same stream because obviously there's a, I think there's a different end credit scene in the cinema than there is when you stream it. When you go to the end credit scene in the cinema, you get to see what became of uh, Venkman and Pete Venkman and Dana. The end credits of Afterlife, you get to see the flirtation between Janine and Egon, and you can get to see some of the backstory because in the first Ghostbusters. Janine is a bit of a hard ass who can look after herself, but she actually has a kind of a semi-flirtation or she makes time for Egon above all the other Ghostbusters. But in Afterlife, we get to see that Egon is the guy who is the real hero of the Ghostbusters. It's not the leader, as it were, Pete Venkman. So did that come across in any way to you guys? I guess in the sense the film is built around the arc of Egon. Mm. Um, which surprised me in some ways. I get that um, they wanted to play tribute to Harold Ramis because yeah. he's a great writer, mm. sadly missed. Yeah. So that's understandable. I always would have thought if they did a new Ghostbusters film, it would follow Peter Venkman yeah. in whatever he's doing now. Sure, sure, sure. If you were to recommend this film to somebody, what type of person do you think should watch Ghostbusters Afterlife? Anyone who saw the original. Yeah. I'm going to say anyone who likes Stranger Things because it's cool. as reminiscent of Stranger Things as it is of Ghostbusters for me sure, sure. with Finn Wolfhard and the whole that small connection. town setting. I mean, I, I would definitely agree with you. Stranger Things, nostalgia, feedback, vibes, definitely there. Just to kind of end it on a positive, even though it may be the end of the series for you rather than the beginning. Wayne, who could you recommend Ghostbusters Afterlife to? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to come across as positive, but I would say the unsophisticated moviegoer. Okay. The person who enjoys dodgeball and has seen it a hundred times like listen dodgeball is great for one or two viewing type of thing but yeah. you know the person who really like lives their life by the mantra of dodgeball yeah. would probably really like this movie because the comedy is very slapstick and falls flat yeah, yeah. for me but for them it might be hilarious yeah, yeah. so i would say the, the type of person who i guess I don't know. I guess unsophisticated is the only nice way I can think of saying it. If you're an unsophisticated moviegoer, you'll probably find this movie funny, but otherwise it's it's probably going to fall flat for you. Well, Wayne, thank you for sharing your opinion and your thoughts on an American classic in both the comedy and the horror genres. But before we let you go, could you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and perhaps what one of the your favorite episodes is or perhaps the next episode? 
Yeah, for sure. Like I said, recast a 2.0. We take movies that are at least 20 years old. We recast them today. And we can obviously be found on any podcast platform, whether it's Spotify or whatever. I like Good Pods because Good Pods is very big. I'm promoting indie podcasts. Nice. So if you listen on there, that's great. Our newest episode just came out, and we recast the 1994 classic Shawshank Redemption. So cool. it was a lot of fun. Huh. That will be a very interesting listen to see how you can reimagine an Oscar-winning classic. So look forward to hearing that. And uh, social media-wise, how can people quickly find you or find a selection of your work? For sure. So on Facebook, we are at Recasted Podcast. We also have a Facebook group called All Things Movies that anyone can join and talk movies with us. And then Twitter is our biggest uh, social media platform where, again, are at Recasted Podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Okay. So we we didn't cross the streams today uh, and we've managed to work with uh, another podcaster from across the pond. And we've also got our homegrown talent as well in Kingdom. So thank you for joining us once again. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure. I've been your host, TJ, and this has been Geek Sweat Stream Team. And if you want to find out more about this episode, you can find us on any of your podcast platforms. If you go to G-E-E-K-S-W-E-A-T in your search engine or just simply hashtag Stream Team. Thank you for listening. Over and out.